Section 4 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 7, January 1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carol Cotter, MerlotTranslations.com. Russia in Europe by the Honorable Gardiner G. Hubbard, LLD, President of the National Geographic Society. Education. There has never been any national system of education in Russia. Many noble and wealthy families have English nurses and French or German tutors. The children are taught to speak French, English, and German, and formerly were often better educated in those languages than in their native tongue. There are nine universities in Russia, with between 15 and 18,000 students, who are mostly from poor families and often support themselves by teaching. They strongly desire to reform the government, but are ignorant of any other way of accomplishing their object than by its overthrow. They have therefore become nihilists, hoping to improve the people without realizing how much evil they do. They have converted the universities into hotbeds of nihilism. The government has consequently subjected the students to very strict regulations, not only in their study, but in their life outside as well as within the university, the tendency now being to restrict instruction and confine it to specified lines. In addition to these nine universities, there are medical and professional schools for engineers, electricians, and mechanics, not included in the above enumeration. Each of the 85 governments has a grammar or high school, and the pupils on graduating from these schools can enter the higher seminaries. There are also secondary common schools and gymnasiums, with 2,500,000 scholars, while there are 15 million of school age. Of every 10 Russian men, two may be able to read, but of every 10 Russian women, hardly one. For the last 10 years, considerable sums have been appropriated by the government for educational purposes, and in 1893, $31 million by the general and local governments, $175 million a year, were expended on the army, and $22 million on the navy, while in the United States, $156 million are annually expended for education. Slight as are their educational privileges, and probably because they are so slight, the people have no desire for a better and fuller system. During my stay at Nizhny Novgorod, I was invited to go over the house of one of the wealthiest men in the place. It was a very magnificent house, with a broad marble stairway leading to the salon, the floor of which was mosaic, and the hangings fine tapestry. I visited every room in the house. In only one did I see a book, paper, or writing materials of any kind, and that was the children's schoolroom. I was informed that neither the master nor mistress could read or write, but I was perhaps misinformed. On leaving, I kissed the hand of the lady of the house, and in return she kissed my forehead, the invariable custom in old Russian families in bidding adieu to guests with whom they were pleased. The family, I was informed, lived in two or three small rooms, keeping the others for show and an occasional party. Within the present century, Russia has developed a literature of poetry and prose, history and romance, excelled by no other nation. Few novels are more read today than those of Turgenev and Tolstoy and other Russian writers. Most of them recount tales of Russia and Russian life, and have a wide circulation in other countries. 
the education of these writers and their mental training have been essentially russian and their writings therefore touch the heart of the russian people and this has led a constantly increasing number to learn to read there is also a large number of folk songs and tales which are widely sung and recited among the peasantry science has also made as rapid progress as belle letters there are no better geologists and chemists in the world than the russian while other scientists are not far behind in eighteen ninety two nine thousand five hundred and eighty eight books were produced with an aggregate of thirty million copies the fair at nizhny novgorod the geographical position of nizhny novgorod is most favorable as a gathering place for people from all parts of russia and the orient situated at the junction of the volga and oka it is easily accessible by these rivers and their branches and canal connections to people from all parts of russia and from some parts of asia it is also the nearest large city to the lowest passes for caravans between russia and china this position makes nizhny novgorod the natural place for the great fair of russia these fairs were formerly held in all the countries of europe and were largely attended but with good roads steamboats and railroads the necessity for them has ceased excepting in russia and some parts of asia in eighteen eighty one i visited the fair at nizhny novgorod held on low flat ground opposite the city for more than five hundred years this fair though not always held at nizhny novgorod has been the great mart of exchange for the products of russia siberia china persia turania and the crimea the fair is opened in july and continues through august and september some of the articles for sale are brought by rail but most by barges or steamboat i counted fifty tugs from one point while two or three times as many were anchored in other parts of the river from siberia are brought furs and diamonds precious stones fine-toned bells iron and wooden utensils siberian shoes made of felt impervious to snow or water heat or cold from china come caravan tea worth two dollars fifty per pound the finest tea that is drunk and brick tea the poorest worth only fifteen cents per pound from persia come precious stones fruits carpets and silks from circassia shawls slippers and oils cotton from kiva and bokhara oil and wool from astrakhan from western russia woolen linen and vast quantities of hardware nails and steel while germany france and england sell their goods by sample there is a palace with salons for great and small balls and dinners there are streets with buildings and stores of stone brick and iron these were found insufficient and three thousand bazaars of a temporary nature are often erected the same merchants come year after year and often from generation to generation and occupy the same buildings some come on horseback with their stores others with steam tugs towing barges filled with merchandise nearby on the river oka are sheds nearly a mile in length filled with siberian iron rolled bar and cast iron rods plate iron and boiler plates wire hollowware stoves nails and all descriptions of rough iron work here are also churches for all creeds russians chinese tartars buddhists catholics and lutherans after the fair is over by the middle or last of september the place is deserted stores and houses closed the goods are taken away and not a soul is seen in the place where only a few days before three or four hundred thousand people were gathered 
the bridge of boats which connects the fairground with nijni is taken down and removed for the winter traveling the different methods of traveling show the habits and civilization of a people in the far north of russia the sledge and reindeer are only used in finland steam or sailboat or sledge travel in summer by land is unusual they wait for sleighing or go by boat in central russia they travel by railroad or by tarantas over the caucasus and generally through the country by tarantas in southeastern russia the horse and camel are the sole means of locomotion and travel is generally by caravan in several of the large cities there are hotels as in other parts of europe but in the country hotels are unknown only rooms are furnished at khans or caravansaries as all travellers carry their servants provisions bed and bedding everywhere is found the samovar a large copper vessel with a long tube or funnel extending to the bottom kept filled with charcoal which when lighted smoulders all day long keeping the water hot day and night ready for making tea in the conveyances for travel in the hotels and in everything else outside the large cities asiatic customs prevail there are regular stations where horses are kept but they cannot be obtained without a prodevoina a paper signed by the proper officer which gives the traveller a right to claim the horses at a price fixed in the paper which is usually very low from berlin to st petersburg and moscow the sleepers are large roomy and clean the accommodations for sleeping are excellent the stations and restaurants are well appointed large and handsome after leaving moscow the first night we had pillowcases and mattress in the sleepers but no sheets the second night neither pillowcases nor mattress south of moscow when i was there the stations were poor without restaurants and even without water for washing we reached vladikavkaz at night and drove directly to a hotel which we understood was kept by a frenchman but he had left and there was no one in the hotel or apparently in the village who could speak either french german or english fortunately we found a boy from one of the neighboring german settlements who could speak german the next morning we started on our trip through the dariel pass across the caucasus in a tarantas a boat-shaped covered carriage without springs or seats for the roads are so rough that springs would soon break without opportunity for repairs we leaned against our trunks in the back of the carriage filled with straw we started with four horses abreast driven with six reins one to each of the outside horses and the other four to the pole horses we drove rapidly but were often delayed at post stations waiting for horses while we were stopping more than once an official drove up horses were immediately harnessed and he drove on although we had been told that there were no horses in the stables we took a few provisions with us and found something to eat at one or two of the stations at night there was only one common room where all lodged and slept on the floors or benches and as this is also used as a waiting room for travellers by night while their horses are being changed there was little opportunity for sleeping the russians carry their own beds and provisions but we were not so fortunate and so we were obliged to lie on the boards with straw for our beds at the end of the second day we were over the mountains and in asia we stopped at the post station our provisions were gone and we could get nothing at the station but a samovar with hot water so late at night we drove on to tiflis a city of over one hundred thousand inhabitants through tiflis the river kur runs with beautiful views of the mount kazbek and the snow peaks of the caucasus to the north 
steep banks on either side divide the city into two parts the one new with fine boulevards european civilization and handsome houses occupied solely by russian officials the other the old part on hilly ground inhabited by persians armenians georgians and others from the many different tribes of the caucasus here are bazaars like those of constantinople cairo or damascus where goods from all parts of the orient are sold conclusion many causes have been and are still at work that must arouse the russians the first great impulse arose in the early part of the present century during the napoleonic wars when the russian armies gathered from all parts of the kingdom marched to berlin and vienna and mingled with the armies of prussia and austria then came the invasion of russia by napoleon the burning of moscow followed by a second march of the russian armies through europe and their entry into paris in eighteen fourteen in each case coming home with enlarged vision and new ideas second the introduction of steamboats on the rivers third the crimean war and the fall of sebastopol which aroused the ruling class to the necessity for railroads and better intercommunication between the different parts of the empire and led to the construction of three lines of railroad from the north to the south through the length of russia and three lines from its western to its eastern boundary thus inviting the people to travel from place to place and to see more of the world fourth as a second result of the crimean war was the freedom of the serfs in eighteen sixty one from a slavery of one hundred and fifty years fifth the construction of the railroad across the ural mountains to siberia and its subsequent extension east through the southern part of the country to the pacific through the rich agricultural region of siberia sixth the transcaspian conquest and the construction of the railroad along the borders of persia and afghanistan across the desert and the river oxus to samarkand opening up several countries and a large population to the manufactures and commerce of russia thus a large and profitable commerce has been created or diverted from england to russia which must greatly benefit russia and transcaspia seventh the export of grain and petroleum from russia to europe which is rapidly increasing and the money obtained in exchange must greatly benefit the russian farmer the destinies of asia are in the hands of russia and england and are more intimately connected with russia than with england for the russians have a greater affinity with the asiatics than the english their influence over them is greater and asiatics are more easily reconciled to the government of russia than to that of the english this contact and intercourse tend to develop both asiatics and russians the day of awakening of progress of education of prosperity to the russian peasant is sure to come but whether this civilization shall be that of europe and america or asia and china is uncertain russia with her empire extending from the atlantic to the pacific will become the leading nation of the orient End of section four.